0: Physicians can be a driving force for equity in our country, and the U.S. Census offers a concrete way to help shift the balance.
1: I think it is really important for physicians to use their role as a trusted voice um, with their patients and their community to, to really help get the word out. It seems like an abstract thing that responding to the census has the potential to improve your life, but it can.
0: That was Kathleen M. Stiles, Chief, Decennial Communications and Stakeholder Relations at the U.S. Census Bureau, talking about how physicians play a critical role in getting the accurate census data needed to build a foundation for equity. I'm Todd Unger, and this is AMA Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association. On today's episode, Dr. Aletha Maybank, Chief Health Equity Officer at the American Medical Association, sits down with Miss Stiles to discuss how the Bureau is working to ensure a complete and accurate census record, despite the challenges of the ongoing pandemic.
2: So as you were sharing, you know, where people can access information, what I think about, you know, and, and the call to kind of, you know, say that we can go to the internet and websites, I think about the health equity context. So health equity, meaning, you know, uh-huh. the, ensuring that everyone has the conditions, resources, opportunities and power to achieve optimal health. And it is now, um, you know, a a leading driver for the work that we do at the AMA and for many folks across the country. But what is real is that not everybody has access to computers as as one um, challenge um, in finding out more information about the census. Um, And there's also issues with broadband in certain areas. And so I, I really wanna start talking about now at this point, you know, how are we supporting communities across this country that have been made vulnerable um, over time based on structures and policies that have been put in place? Um, how are we supporting them? And, and let me be more specific in what I mean from communities. So I'm referring to communities of colors, so Black, Latinos, um, Native Americans, Asian Americans, um, who are, have not always been part of the power structure in very representative ways, as well as those who identify as LGBTQ, the disabled um, as well. And I just wanna have more of a conversation of how are we supporting um, folks who may not have access to computers, also are underrepresented. What is the message and what are the, the, the materials that we are giving to folks in those communities?
1: So let me start with um, how people can respond to the census, because we are certainly aware that not everyone has access to a computer or broadband. Um, There are three ways to respond to the decennial census. You can respond by mail, uh, on the internet, or by telephone. And what we are finding this census is that far and away, the vast, vast majority of people are really wanting to respond on the internet and um, we're we're happy to see that it gives us uh, the data much quicker and it's it's a very quick um, thing for a person to do it takes less than 10 minutes on the internet and your your question about um, you know vulnerable populations we put um, great effort into counting uh, the individuals that we we refer to as hard to enumerate and i think we're talking about the same populations that you were talking about earlier we have a whole variety of special operations beyond our um, you know, standard, we're going to mail you an invitation to the census and you go online and fill it out. We have special uh, operations to enumerate people who live in group living situations, whether those are prisons or college dormitories or nursing homes or what have you. We have special operations to enumerate the homeless population. Special operations to enumerate transient populations—those who are living in campgrounds and RV parks. Um, you know, we we our goal is a complete and accurate enumeration to count everyone once, only once, and in the right place. And you, we have to tailor operations to reach specific populations in order to achieve that. We get the word out both through our operations and through our um, messaging. Um, Uh, Platforms, And when I say we get it out through operations, the the standard methodology for us is we mail an invitation to your house and you respond to the census. And if you do not respond to the census after a number of mailings to your house, um, then we will send someone to the door in an operation that we call non-response follow-up and they will knock on doors until we get a response. Um, that's expensive. And it's, um, you know, it's, if we try to minimize the amount, we have to do that and maximize self-response. And we do that through um, a very formal and very extensive outreach program. We have over 300,000 partners at the local level all around the country. And these can be um, healthcare providers, they can be local businesses, local churches, and they invite um, our partnership specialists um, in to help get the word out to that particular community about the census. We also have national partnerships, including one of course with the AMA uh, to help us get the word out, including like through this, this podcast today. We know that we can't get the word out all on our own, and that we need to be relying on trusted voices because those are people that um, respondents will trust and believe, and you know help motivate them to respond.
2: Absolutely, and it's good. You're absolutely right. Um, the trusted voices are absolutely critical, and I, and I really think about that um, for folks um, who may be fearful um, to interact with government, um, have, fearful to have government coming in their homes. Um, based on, on their own historical context and their community's historical context. So I agree that trust is absolutely critical and how messages are delivered is important, too. What about um, different languages? Uh, are Is this information provided in different languages as well? Of course.
1: Um, yeah, we, our language program reaches over 99 percent of U.S. households who have language need. Um, The internet application itself is available in English and in Spanish and in 11 other languages. Um, A large percentage of um, households in this country receive a bilingual English-Spanish form and mailings. Um, We have language guides available. And more than that, when it comes time to do the the non-response follow-up operation, we really do try to hire people who speak whatever is the, the locally prevalent language. And we do try to hire people who live in the neighborhoods that they're gonna be enumerating. Once again, it's just easier to get people to cooperate if you um, you know have local individuals working and um, soliciting information.
2: What about uh, folks who, and persons with disabilities or who are differently abled? How are we working to ensure that they are counted? Um, and our outreach is definitely Um, accessible and relevant to the realities that they're experienced as well? So, uh,
1: census data indicates that we have approximately 56.7 million persons with disabilities in the U.S. and it is very important that they be counted in the census. Um, We have tried very hard to ensure that the 2020 census provides an equivalent experience for everyone, regardless of their needs um, or disabilities or their different abilities. Um, Reaching hard to count communities, including persons with disabilities is woven into the entire design of the 2020 census. And we've benefited greatly from feedback from the disability community as we uh, planned for the the census. And census data help inform public funding distribution. um, And that is especially important for uh, persons with disabilities who may be using public programs to support inclusion in uh, all aspects of life. So um, that's a great question, and thank you for asking that.
2: And Evan, one more question about, you know, folks a lot of times think about, you know, health equity, definitely in the context of urban settings, you know, it, that are um, definitely experience great gaps in, in health and life expectancy, but our rural communities sometimes also, also definitely experience inequities and sometimes get left out of the conversation. Can you talk a little bit about the work around rural health?
1: So the Census Bureau goes to great lengths to count everyone living in rural and remote parts of the country. We design specific operations and outreach strategies to reach rural areas. One in five Americans, about 60 million people, live in rural areas. We define a rural area as any area outside of a densely populated urban area. Um, In rural areas, we tend not to... um, simply mail a questionnaire rather uh, uh, rural areas tend to be part of what we call the update leave operation where a census taker goes to the individual household and leaves a questionnaire and um, records the address of the household Um, and that is because addresses simply work differently in rural areas and we have found it is more effective to drop off a questionnaire rather than mail it. So given the importance of census responses for informing funding about public programs Um, that include grants for rural housing and schools and healthcare programs. Um, It's really important that rural um,
2: citizens and residents respond to the census. Who tends to get undercounted in previous uh, census? So
1: uh, every census, um, we study who we count and who we do not count. Um, And we do that by conducting a post-enumeration survey after the census from which we estimate who got missed and who got overcounted. And in past censuses, um, when we have been measuring this, um, undercounted populations are people of color um, African American, Hispanic, Asian, um, Native Americans, um, and uh, younger people tend to be undercounted. We have historically had an undercount of children under the age of five. And we're taking uh, additional steps and have new programs in the census to try to uh, to deal with the issue of um, undercount of young children.
2: Do you see a role uh, for physicians or healthcare system to reach um, folks who have been undercounted in the past that you've just mentioned, people of color, children?
1: I think it is really important for Physicians to use their role as a trusted voice um, with their patients and their community to to really help get the word out.
2: It seems like an abstract thing
1: that responding to the census has the potential to improve your life,
2: but it can. Many people know, you know, the census is there; it exists, but it's 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 not it's not built into an understanding of the importance of it in education, just overall, outside of medicine, but just education overall, and. And it's and then I'm sure there are reasons behind this. It's not something that's totally visible either um during non census times, so you know any way that we're able to help support you know elevating that that message um we're definitely going to look into figuring out how can we better do that um and and support those realities.
1: We appreciate that you know the census is about money and power when you get down to it, and uh you know the the more Um, complete and accurate of account we have, the the better a job that we as a nation can do.
2: And I think that's an important part of the message. It's about money and power and getting money and power to equitably across the country. I mean, we talk about that in equity and that the root of the conversation is who has power and who doesn't have power. And that's ultimately connected to to money and, and political power. But if folks don't have power, and that's why I said initially in the definition of equity, you have to have the conditions, the resources, as well as the power um, in order to really achieve optimal health. And if you're not counted, unfortunately, um, in this country, you know, it it decreases the power um, and the advocacy um, to get resources distributed equally and and equitably across this country. So I'm going to move into, um, you know, what is at the forefront of all of our minds um, across the world um, and that's COVID nineteen and COVID nineteen in the census. And so I just I, I just want to first really open up with, you know, how has it been for you all? Um, you know, as COVID has emerged, how have you had to kind of switch up and change operations as it relates to the census?
1: Well, I that's another important question. And um, you know, the Census Bureau, like everyone else in America, is having to adjust and uh, make changes in order to move forward. So we mailed out our um, initial questionnaires, uh, I'm sorry, our initial invitations. Those arrived in most homes uh, beginning on, I think it is the, the 12th of March, which is just about the time that um, many um, states were starting to send people to work from home. Um, I, for example, I have been working at home since now, I think it's March 13th. Um, So our self-response period was beginning right about the time that we had lockdown orders. So um, we were starting field operations. We were in the process of ramping up. We are, you know, the the nation's largest peacetime mobilization is how we like to refer to it. Um, We had made job offers to over 600,000 individuals. And then um, we have had to announce various suspensions of operations because of the the health emergency that we're in now. We announced a two-week pause in operations on March 18th, and then we announced a second two-week pause in operations on March 28th. Um, And the situation really is changing day to day. And we will continue to um, pause as we need to in order to protect the health and safety of You know, first and foremost, our workers and second and beyond that, the American public.
2: So how do you think then that this will impact the public and the people who are taking the census? Have you gotten um, direct feedback from from folks on, on kind of questions and challenges that they have at this time?
1: So the most direct feedback we have is watching our response rate. People who are getting their questionnaires are, or their, their invitations are responding in the fashion that we had hoped they would. The last two days have been particularly good for us. Um, census day is April 1st, and we had a lot of uh, media and publicity and digital outreach on that day and uh, got, got a banner haul that day, lots of responses.
2: Um, but, you know, this is a situation that's changing. Absolutely. And so do you all have... I, and I would imagine so, you know, are, are folks kind of organized and kind of coordinating and, and thinking through how um, will the census uh, team and folks reach those historically who have been hard to count um, and, and how the complexities of, of COVID may exacerbate all of this?
1: Well, our approach is we'd, we'd like to be able to execute on the operations that we'd planned. Um, and we we still have you know great hope that that's going to be able to happen in a timely fashion uh, later this spring.
2: okay, all right, so we're kind of waiting right now to to see what happens um with covid basically
1: yeah this this is not a time we want that people are going to want somebody knocking on their door to collect a response.
2: yes, exactly how do just a quick question to that how do how do we count people in nursing homes? In um, independent living facilities and psychiatric hospitals?
1: So, uh, we have what we call residence criteria, um, but the general rule is that we count people where you live and sleep. And, you know, generally for long term care facilities, you will be counted in your care facility. And we do that um, typically by getting information, by getting records from the facility itself. Um, So this is one of the adaptations that we are doing. We have a list of healthcare facilities, college dormitories, et cetera, and we approached them um, in February and early in March and said, we're going to want to enumerate your residents and how would you like to give us the information? And we let them choose between an e-delivery system and picking up records or us dropping off individual forms. And um, some of them selected the the paper forms and the in-person and that. So we're in the process of recontacting facilities and saying, um, you did not choose e-response and the world has changed. Would you like to choose e-response? And overwhelmingly, we are getting a, a strong yes on that. So that's that's a good, good sign.
2: That is a good sign. I've been glad to really hear that. Thank you, Kathleen, for the valuable information you provided. Would you mind coming back on the show? It would be my pleasure. Thank you.
0: That was part two of our two-part podcast series on the 2020 Census. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. For more information and updates on how COVID-19 is affecting census collection, you can visit the official website at 2020census.gov.